I like that. When I saw that, and I think I showed it last year as well, because in our technological social media world, you know, it's challenging sometimes on Easter to try to make a connection from way back then to today, right? And, and if you're not careful, if I'm not careful, I've been attending uh, Easter services since 1988 when I was kind of a seeker coming to the Lord and, and all the way through. I've been an attender. I've taught. And over the years, you know, quite frankly, sometimes if we're not careful, Easter can just become overly familiar. And, and we're here for a variety of reasons, maybe, and, and maybe you were invited, welcome, maybe it's tradition, you know, whatever. Maybe you're just completely lit because it's Resurrection Day, right? Um, but I want to really encourage us as, as we look at God's Word and we, and we look at the resurrection, uh, I'm going to really encourage you not to check out. Not to check out, because I honestly believe that, that in light of even where we are as a country, where we are as a world, that today God wants to speak to us about bringing the truth of the resurrection, the truth that Jesus is alive to us. What does that mean? What does that really mean? Right? And, and the, the passage we're going to look at today is in First Peter 1. It says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Peter is writing to the church, to Christians who are, quite frankly, in an anti-Christian society. They're being persecuted. Following Jesus, being a believer is not fun right now. They're experiencing personal trials. They're experiencing persecution from those around them. And into that anti-Christian society, that hostile environment to those who profess faith in Jesus, he says, hey, this resurrection matters. This resurrection matters. And I love this passage because it's so relevant to those of us who are followers of Jesus in today's culture, where it's not so much fun and, and, and you catch a lot of grief and, and you know, some pain, even some persecution, even in this church for being followers of Jesus and believers in the word of God. And so there's a relevance to this. And he says, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We're going to focus on living hope and this resurrection, the connection between the resurrection being foundational, fundamental, right? And then he says in verse six, in all this, you greatly rejoice. And I love that phrase. It means continually jump for joy. It means skip, leap, right? He says, because of the resurrection and its foundational truth, you and I today can be living, experiencing daily living hope in which we greatly rejoice. This great joy, right? I love that. Continually jump for joy. Continually jump for joy. And yet when I think about the status of the church and struggles I go through, struggles that you go through, sometimes I think there's this strange disconnect 
Because he's speaking to Christians who are being persecuted, and he's talking about greatly rejoicing. Because of the resurrection, you can greatly rejoice. And I wonder sometimes in our life where, the, where all the rejoicing went as a believer. Where did it go? Right? Where's your joy? When is the last time you jumped for joy for Jesus? When is the last time you felt this overwhelming sense of, yes, like the video? Right? It's kind of strange. You watch that, and you see a reaction, and it's kind of strange because it's like, is that okay? Why are they, are they overreacting? You know? And, and for some reason, the church has become so stifled. So stifled, so, so like proper, and so like consumed with being right. I'm so consumed with being right that I just squash all joy in my life because I want to be right. Right? There's a balance between Christian truth. We're not saying that you don't have Christian truth and solid doctrine, but there's also Christian experience. And sometimes what has happened is the pendulum swings in the church. We become very doctrine-heavy. Thou shalt believe the right things. And in the believing of the right things, we kill all the joy. And then the pendulum swings the other way, and we're like jumping around. And it's all experiential, and it's all feelings, and we did aerobics for an hour. And you're like, did, did you learn anything? Not really. I don't even, but it felt good. Right? And we kind of have this tension, and into that comes the resurrection. And I love the resurrection because the power of the truth of the resurrection equates to, should be, incredible rejoicing. Amen? The, out of the truth should come the rejoicing. And we're going to look at that and I'm going to ask you and, and, and ask God to speak to our Where's your joy? Where's your rejoicing? As a follower of Jesus, but specifically, specifically today, where's your joy in the resurrection? Seriously, the resurrection. I've had a lot of dear friends go home to be with Jesus over the last 30 years. I got to tell you, if one of them showed up at my door, and I opened the door and I'm like, dude, I was at your memorial. I would rejoice. Something would well up in me, and I would probably, after I freaked out, I would probably rejoice. It would just happen. You know, but some of us would be like, well, uh, what are you doing here? And is, can this really happen? And let me just think about this. And I don't think that would be the reaction. If one of my buddies, my brothers in the Lord, showed up, risen from the dead, I'm going through the roof. I'm rejoicing. Right? And, 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 and sometimes we've got to ask, what happened? Where, where did it go? I'm not talking being silly and, and flippant joy. And, and I'm not talking about that. I'm talking genuine joy in the truth of the resurrection. Just genuine joy in the living hope we have, right? And so what I like to do traditionally in, in, on Easter is, is I like to kind of say, okay, let's, let's start kind of with the doctrine stuff. Why does the resurrection matter, Right? Why is it so important? Are we just here just because we're supposed to, okay, just because you grew up doing it? Here's the truth, and I'm not, even, I'm not even exaggerating. If the resurrection didn't happen, we shouldn't even be here. That's what the Bible says. This is ridiculous. 
If the resurrection as a historical event in Earth's timeline did not happen, I'm leaving right now to go watch the playoffs. Because this is silly to be here. Right? You got to, you got to, this is like where it gets real. This is, we're not talking about myth or legend or fairy tale or religion, whatever, 101. This is like a legit, you got to settle the deal. Did the resurrection happen in Earth's timeline as a historical fact? Because the Bible says there are consequences if it didn't. Right? So I'll just give you a few of them, right? If the resurrection didn't happen, Jesus would be a liar. In John 2.19, he says, destroy this temple. It's talking about his body, and I will raise it again in three days. So if the resurrection didn't happen, Jesus would be a liar, and he'd be a sinner. Therefore, he couldn't be the Lamb of God. Okay? If the resurrection didn't happen, our preaching and faith are useless. 1 Corinthians 15 says, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. So here's the deal. If the resurrection didn't happen, do not listen to another preacher. Bible itself says it's useless, right? If the resurrection didn't happen, we are still in our sins. 1 Corinthians 15, 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. That's what the Bible says, right? If the resurrection didn't happen, there's no hope for those who have already died and for us in the future. 1 Corinthians 15, 18. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we would be pitied more than all men. See, there's implications. There are radical implications for the historicity, they call it, the historical fact, the event of the resurrection. And you've got to kind of settle that. And here's the deal. Once you settle that, it affects your rejoicing. I think a lot of times in our Christian walk, our joy level and our rejoicing might be rooted in some uncertainty about the resurrection. Because it's foundational. You see, it's foundational. It's fundamental. You've got to settle the deal. Right? In logic, in logical thinking, there's called the, it's called the law of non-contradiction. The law of non-contradiction says this. Two contradictory claims cannot both be true. Now, this is kind of hard in our postmodern relativistic society. That's a hard pill to swallow for many because we want your truth to be your truth, my truth to be my truth. What's good for you is good for you, it's, you know, and, and who's to say? Well, the law of logic says, because the logic says there's a law of non-contradiction. Two contradictory claims cannot both be true at the same time, right? So if A is Jesus is risen and negative A is Jesus is not risen, They cannot both be true. They just can't be. That's contradictory. That's the law of non it violates the law of non-contradiction. What does that mean for you and me? You gotta settle the deal. For me to say, well, you know, Bill, that's good for you to believe that, but I don't believe it didn't, one of us is right, and one of us is Right? You're going to have to settle that. You're going to have to work through that. You're going to have to work through that. You know, I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church tradition, 
And as I was coming to know the Lord and seeking the Lord and kind of someone was giving me the Bible to read and kind of challenging me, I was at UCLA and and on my way to law school and they're challenging me with, with Jesus and the gospel and reading the Bible. Man, I had to work through this. I was talking with the Jordan yesterday. I grew up very academic and did very well in high school in tests. And I said, you know, to me it got to the point when I took a test in a class, it wasn't just that I wanted an A, I wanted to ace it. Right? Just getting an A wasn't enough. I, I hated being wrong. I hate being wrong. You know, just I grew up that way, very performance driven, very like all or nothing. So it came down to this resurrection question. Because I hate to be wrong. So I'm, I'm like, okay, wait, there's no wiggle room here. A and negative A can't both be right. What's the deal? And I had to search it out and, and read a ton, listen to a ton. And, and the, uh, Josh McDowell, I came across, some of you may know a guy named Josh McDowell. Josh McDowell was voted freshman uh, class president at his college. And, and in his freshman year, he met some Christian friends. He was a non-believer, but he, he met some Christian friends. And he shares this story. This is Josh McDowell's a brief testimony. He says, my new friends challenged me intellectually to examine the claims that Jesus Christ is God's son, that taking on human flesh, he lived among real men and women and died on the cross for the sins of mankind, that he was buried and he rose, arose three days later and could change a person's life in the 20th century. That's when he was writing this. I thought this was a farce. In fact, I thought most Christians were walking idiots. I'd met some. I used to wait for a Christian to speak up in the classroom so I could tear him or her up one side and down the other and beat the insecure professor to the punch. I imagined that if a Christian had a brain cell, it would die of loneliness. I didn't know any better. But these people challenged me over and over. Finally, out of pride, I accepted their challenge. I did it to refute them. Josh McDowell took the challenge 100% to refute Christianity. That's why he took the challenge. I didn't know there were facts. I didn't know there was evidence that a person could evaluate. Eventually, my mind came to the conclusion that Jesus Christ must have been who he claimed to be. In fact, the background of my first two books was my setting out to refute Christianity. When I couldn't, I ended up becoming a Christian I have now spent 15 years documenting why I believe that faith in Jesus Christ is intellectually feasible. So Josh McDowell sets out intellectually on the college campus to refute Christianity, looks at the evidence as if it would be presented in a court of law, and based on the evidence, becomes a Christian. He writes that he has a good book, a wonderful book called The Resurrection Factor, where he applies the same legal historical uh, processes to the resurrection And this is what he concludes. A believer in Jesus Christ today can have the complete confidence, as did those first Christians, that his faith is based not on myth or legend, but on the solid historical fact of the empty tomb. Right? He shares a story of Dr. Simon Greenleaf, who was the royal professor of law at Harvard University. Dr. Greenleaf examined the value of the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ to ascertain the truth. Greenleaf came to the conclusion that, according to the laws of legal evidence used in courts of law, 
there is more evidence for the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than for just about any other event in history. That's weighing the legal, what they call the legal historical evidence, witnesses, documents, as if it was presented in a court of law today. That's where these two gentlemen landed. Right? Hank Hanegraaff, the Christian Research Institute, has this little, little helpful tool. We call it the resurrection is the greatest feat in history, F-E-A-T. Right? Fatal torment. Jesus actually died. The tomb was actually empty. Appearances, Jesus appeared to 500 people plus after he was raised and transformed lives. Disciples going from fearful to bold. Saul becoming Paul. Right? Greatest feat in history. So it's kind of you can't escape it. Why does the resurrection matter in 2019? Because everyone in this room, you got to land somewhere. You got to land somewhere because Christians believe, we believe that in the, his, in the timeline, in the history of this planet, this supernatural event happened. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and the implications are eternal and daily. And daily. Right? Warren Wiersbe says this Too many Christians are betweeners. They live between Egypt and Canaan, saved but never satisfied. Or they live between Good Friday and Easter, believing in the cross but not entering into power and glory of the resurrection. Bunch of tweeners, he says. Right? We go to Good Friday service. We have a wonderful reflection on Jesus dying on the cross. We take communion. It's very reflective. Saturday comes, and we just kind of land on Saturday. And we don't live as resurrection Christians. We don't live in the truth of the resurrection. Most of us, I believe, tend to live in the truth of Good Friday. Honestly, most Christians will say, hey, Jesus died for you. Hey, God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you. Right? Hey, Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you. Think about in your Christian upbringing. What percentage has it always stopped that Jesus died for you? How many of us have equal or if not said, hey, Jesus died for you and rose again so that you can have a new life? What difference would that make, right? The gospel is that Jesus Christ died, buried, and rose from the dead. That's the complete gospel. Most of the time, the good news is that Jesus died for you. That's only half the deal. The good news is that Jesus died and rose again. That rising again part is what matters to us in 2019 and beyond. Amen? The rising again brings the truth of the past historical event to us right now and to the future. That's the good news. That's why when you're sharing the gospel with someone in the community, do not neglect the resurrection. Right? Because you're just giving them half the story. Hey, Jesus died for you. You're a sinner and Jesus died for you. Okay, thanks. (laughs) I mean, right? You leave out half the deal and you're trying to, he died for you. He bled for you. He loves you so much. You were a wretched, wicked sinner and he died for you. Thanks, I think. 
right? And we, we, we just like pour out our heart and there's nothing wrong with that except that you miss out and he rose from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, we're going to rise from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, we're new creations and we can walk in newness of life and we have a living hope. Amen? You see, I guess if you, if you were to share that, you'd probably get a smile on the other person's face. Because that's the good news. That's the complete good news. Jesus died for you, yes. But he also rose from the dead so you can have new life, resurrection life, right now, April 21st, 2019. Right now, even before you leave here. Even before you leave here. Some of you might have come in, you might be tweeners. I don't know if you're a tweener. God knows. But before you leave here, you can be a resurrection one. You can just, you can get lit. You can get lit. Right? And it has to do, all the way back to First Peter, we talked about this, a living hope. Because sometimes I think our joy, as believers, we're not living with what, what Peter calls living hope. We're still kind of living with hopelessness and kind of despair. And we're under persecution. And, you know, no one likes me because you know, I stand up for Jesus and I read the Bible. And I'm just, you know, I just feel like I'm getting beat up all the time. And rather than having living hope... There's a lot of us that are just kind of, and we're feeling kind of hopeless. There's a lot of hopeless, despairing people in this community, in this country, in this world right now. And as believers, we have the good news of coming in and living with living hope. Living hope. Because that's the message that people want. But you have to be clear on what biblical hope is and isn't. Because most of the time when we use the word hope, what do we think? It's like wishful thinking, uncertainty. That's how, you def- that's how most of us say, I hope I win the lottery, right? I hope the Dodgers win. Amen. We got an amen over there, right? All right? I hope it doesn't rain. I hope I get a raise, right? So we define hope, even as in the church, if we're not careful, by the world standards. It's wishful thinking. It's uncertainty. Right? That's not biblical hope. That's not living hope. That's not hope based on the resurrection. Biblical hope is not finger crossing. Okay? It's not. Biblical hope, when, when the Bible when it talks about living hope and, and the hope in the Bible, it is a confident, joyful expectation not affected by circumstance. John Blanchard says this, Hope is biblical shorthand for unconditional certainty. It's an eager, confident expectation, right? Biblical hope is a confident expectation. It is based on certainty. The certainty of what? The resurrection. See, the resurrection transforms the definition of biblical hope into certainty. And because I have certainty, I can rejoice in the certainty of the future. I don't have to fear the future. A lot of us right now, you're living, you hope, you're living in the hopeful, like wishful thinking hope because you get tied up in knots, you're fearful and you're anxious of the future. The resurrection sets you free from that. Because biblical hope is based on certainty. You have a confident expectation, right? Kind of works like this. If, if I were to tell my kids growing up, hey, we're thinking of going to Disneyland. Ah! Right? Right? So based on my words, they're like all excited, right? They have faith. 
But even more so if I say, we're thinking of taking Disneyland, and here's the tickets. Oh, they got the tickets. So what do you think would happen? How would they live in the five days leading up to going to Disneyland? In joyful expectation. They would have what this is called a living hope. You get it now? This is what we're talking about. God, through the resurrection, seals his future promises. He gives you an inheritance. He says, because I live, you're going to live. We should be like my kids who see the Disneyland tickets. It's like, I can't wait. Every day, they're talking about it. Every day, they're getting more and more excited because they know it's going to happen. It's guaranteed. It's a certainty. That's where a lot of us, we got to get back. You got to, you got, some of us are so bound up by our circumstances. So much are so bound up by our past. So much is bound up in I hope this and I hope that and anxiety and fear and insecurity. The resurrection answers all of that. And says, hey, you can bank on it. I got an inheritance for you with your name on it. Right? I love that verse in First Peter. It says, our living hope, what is it? It's an inheritance. If you're a believer right now, there is an inheritance waiting for you. Right now. Got your name on it. Got your name on it right now. In the authority of Scripture, there is an inheritance. You are an heir. You are born into the family of God, and immediately you become an heir. And the Bible says you have an inheritance with your name on it. Are you living that? Are you living that truth? Right? Does that get you excited? Like my kids wanting to go to Disneyland, and they come and look at the tickets. Can I hold the ticket? You're right? And they start dreaming about what rides they're going to go on and the, all this kind of stuff, right? And so they're, they're living in the present. They're taking care of school and chores and all this kind of stuff. But what is what's driving their joy? The future. See, a lot of us as believers, we're consumed with present circumstances and trials and tribulations, and we don't focus enough on the future. We just don't focus enough on, on our future home and inheritance. And that's what he says in, 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 in 1 Peter is our living hope. Our living hope is the future, where we're going, right? Garrett, we'll put up 1 Peter 1, 3 and 6 again. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. He's talking about your inheritance right now. Nothing can ruin your inheritance that's sitting waiting for you. Isn't that crazy? Never going to perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Right now, you're a believer. you got something waiting for you. got your name on it. Crazy, right? Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You know what that verse means? That word, that word says are shielded. The word picture is a military guard, a battalion of soldiers guarding a fortress. You know what he's talking about? God's protection for you. There's an inheritance reserved for you, and until you leave this planet to go get it, God is protecting you. That makes me feel good. I don't know about you, right? In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Do you see what Peter says? He says, hey! In light of the future, 
in light of the resurrection, which springs board you into the future, you can rejoice today. Amen? You can greatly rejoice today. You just can. And it's not pie in the sky, bury your head in the ground, turn off your noggin Christian. It's not being a dumb Christian. It's not being an anti-intellectual Christian. It's like, no. Examine the, examine the evidence. Drive a stake in the ground. Did the resurrection happen? Is that your conviction? If it is, boom. Springboards you right into joy and rejoicing. Because the resurrection is foundational to your inheritance, to where we're going. You can't separate them. You can't separate them. Right? Jesus, in talking to Martha, says this in John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Then he asked Martha this question. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Jesus says, straight up, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Do you believe this? That's what he asked me. So do you believe this? It comes down to an issue of belief. Belief. What is biblical belief? What is biblical faith? I've shared this with you before, right? Sometimes we think that biblical faith is just believing all the right stuff. There's this part of it. The other part of biblical faith, true saving faith, is you know the right stuff. You have the right doctrine. But at a certain point, you got to rest on it. you got to trust it. Just like right now, all of, you are, all of you are demonstrating faith in those chairs. Is anyone anxious? Have you been anxious about the chair? You just plopped right down this morning. Complete faith in the chair. That's saving faith in Jesus. That's what the Bible says. You, you, you just got to rest. You rest in who Jesus is. You believe who he is, what the Bible says, and at a certain point you have to exercise your will and your trust and rest in his finished work. That's what he's talking about. And when you do that, you can appropriate all that he has for you. All that comes with the resurrection. Right? So are you living in this sense of the living hope that you have? It's alive because Jesus is alive. Biblical hope is not just a principle. It's a person. First Timothy says it's Christ our hope. Biblical hope is a person. It's a relationship with Jesus. So are you living in the sense of rejoicing with Jesus in his resurrection? Right? Because he's alive. Because he's alive. I was thinking of this. And I found this, I thought of this on my uh, bookcase in my office. The very first Bible I ever received. Again, I went to church growing up. Never had a Bible, never read a Bible. Then I started dating a Christian girl who decided to buy me a Bible and take me to Christian church. And, you know, the rest, I guess, is history, right? right so my wife and I were, were dating, and we went to a Easter sunrise service in San Diego, and it was, back then it was at SeaWorld. They would open up one of the stages, and we would come all over San Diego, and we had sunrise service at uh, SeaWorld. And after the service, or I don't know if it was after before, she gave me my very first Bible. 
It used to have my name on it, but the cover came off and kind of got destroyed over the last few years. But I looked at it. it was, uh, she gave this to me on the third day of April, 1988. Right? I was trying to think last night. I, went, I think I was still in the seeker stage. But she got me a Bible. And she encouraged me to read it. And I would go to listen to the sunrise service. And little by little, I was just like, oh, man, okay. Because I'm trying to process this through academics and UCLA and law school, and I hate being wrong. But the people up there, man, they're talking truth, and they're lit, and they're talking about Jesus transformed their life, and this is legitimate, and the resurrection happened. And, uh, man, I, I had to take the challenge. And I'm going to be honest with you. It was a process. It was a process of honestly examining and reading, putting off my preconceived ideas and my assumptions, and, and just letting the Word of God speak to me, listening to others who have been on similar journeys and, and questions they were asking. And over time, over time, the reality of the resurrection just became more and more and more pronounced in my life. And I want to encourage you this morning as we gather, because, you know, I know that, that in this room, you, you know, we're all over the spectrum, and, and, and we're just glad you're here. But I do want you to know the good news. Jesus does love you. God does love you. Jesus did die for you, and he rose from the dead. He did. Right? And, and that's our heart here. We just want you to love him. We want you to know that. We want you to know that the resurrection matters today. Before you leave here, you go, man, wait. Wait. Heaven? Inheritance? My name? Whatever happens, worst case scenario, something tragic happens and I leave this planet by the end of today, I'm where? Heaven. See, allow the reality of the resurrection. Really, just allow God to speak to you through that today. Because, see, when Jesus told his disciples, he tried to tell them a bunch of times, hey, I got to go to Jerusalem, they're going to kill me, I'm going to rise again. The rising part just kind of, they never got that. It just kind of went over their head until what? He rose. Then they're like, oh, duh, that's what he said was going to happen. Right? Here's the encouragement. Maybe there's something in your life you've been struggling with. Fear, anxiety, pride, lust, whatever it might be. Doubt, uncertainty. This morning, bring that to the living Jesus. Because sometimes we say bring it to the cross, right? Well, I want to encourage you today. Jesus is alive Bring that doubt, that fear, that insecurity, that struggle, that obstacle, the, the, the habitual sin, whatever you're struggling with, bring it to the risen Jesus. Bring it to him. And let him set you free. Let him set you free. The Bible says in Romans 6 that he was raised from the dead so that you and I can walk in newness of life. You know what newness of life is? Newness in terms of quality never existed before. The resurrection enables you and me to live a brand new life that never existed before you met Jesus. He's not just trying to renovate you. He wants you to be a new creation.
He wants to set you free. But you've got to exercise that faith. And also we have to understand the power of the resurrection today. The power of the resurrection. So we're going to pray and then we're going to sing. We, sang, we started with this song called Living Hope. And my guess is now next time you sing the song, which is going to be in about 30 seconds, I want you to sing it this way. Don't just sing it as a song on the screen. If Jesus is your living hope, then sing it as a declaration and a prayer. And if there's something that God has already spoken to your heart about, about giving to him, coming to him with an issue in your life, you don't have to tell anybody, but as, as a sign of saying, Jesus, I'm giving to you, this to you, the risen Lord, if you want to do that and stand to sing this song as a, as a recognition, then you do that. If you want to stand during, as we sing this song as just because just he's your living hope, and, <laughs> you know, I got to jump, I got to stand, right? Because you got an inheritance. You got an inheritance with your name on it. You're, it's done. If that's your heart, then you stand and you just rejoice in this song. Because it's not just a cool-sounding song by Phil Wickham. There is some powerful truth in here. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Living hope. My living certainty. My living confident expectation. That's who he is. That's who he wants to be in your life. That's what the resurrection is about. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you. That the resurrection matters in 2019. In 2019, Lord, in 1 Peter, you say that we can rejoice greatly. We can jump for joy because we have been born into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We can rejoice greatly. We can jump for joy because we have an inheritance at this very second with our name on it in heaven because we believe in Jesus. And so I want to pray for us this morning, those that have come in with a sense of hopelessness, those that have been burdened by despair, those that have been burdened by circumstances, by the past, by fears, by insecurities, by anxieties, by the false truths, false lies, the lies that people told them growing up. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would set them free. I pray that they would put their faith and rest fully that you died and rose again. That they would appropriate who they are in Christ as children of God today, right now. It's about what you did in sending Jesus not just to die, but to rise again. And Lord, it's that resurrection that lights us. It's that resurrection that reminds us, you're still God. You got it all under control. And we're your children. And you're protecting us. And we're going somewhere far greater than Disneyland. Our tickets are punched to heaven. And we can't wait to get there. So Lord, we bring these issues to you. You are living hope, Jesus. And surrender and praise through this song. We sing the truth of you, our living hope.